Hi, friends. Happy 2018. We're just a couple of days into it. I hope you are ready. You're excited about a new year and excited for what God has for you this year. I just wanted to kind of give a quick overview of something we're going to do a little different for the next few weeks and so that you aren't surprised by it. Nothing is really changing about the That Sounds Fun podcast. I'm still bringing my friends on as I do and still introducing you to people and ideas that I think are important and cool. And I like when my friends become friends with my friends. So that is why um, we do this podcast. But I've also had a lot of conversations with you guys on Twitter and an email lately about a couple of the topics that we keep going back to. And And so I wanted to kind of had some episodes that really focused on some different rhythms, some different rituals, some different kind of things you can bring into your life that will lead to hopefully a healthier, more full, more balanced life. And I think when we think about New Year's resolutions and we think about how we want this year to be, the baseline is healthier, right? The baseline is we just want to be healthier humans, body, soul, and spirit. And so we just kind of wanted to share about a couple of rhythms that I'm bringing more focused into my life that have changed my life in the past. And so we have a guest today that I'm going to tell you more about here in a minute, but there's a lot of exciting, cool stuff going on with her that we talk about, but also we talk about journaling because y'all know journaling is a big part of my life. If you remember the episode with Luke Norsworthy from the fall, you know, we talked a ton about journaling and why it matters and, and how it's changed my life. And so that is what kind of the first rhythm we're going to talk about is, is it's important to, when you're reading your Bible, when you're experiencing life things to be writing down, even if you're just jotting notes in your phone, on your computer, on your iPad, or if you use pen and paper, like I do most of the time to write things down. So that is the direction we're going to go for the next couple of weeks is let's just talk about some rhythms and listen, shoot back to me ideas and thoughts and questions you have. And we can always do a follow-up episode or we can do follow-up information on the blog, or we can absolutely keep talking about this. So I hope you enjoy these next few weeks where we are kicking off 2018 with some healthy rhythms that we are inviting into our lives. Today, I have my friend Nicole Nordeman on the show. She is, you probably know her, her her music is incredible and so life-giving. Her most recent album, Every Mile Mattered, is just uh, important to me. It's a beautiful, beautiful album. And she recently also had a book come out called Slow Down, Embracing the Everyday Moments of Motherhood that is just a really beautiful gift book. It's hardback. It's lovely. And so I noticed when I was flipping through Slow Down that Nicole has these spaces everywhere for people to reflect and journal. And y'all know how I feel about journaling. And so that is a discipline and a rhythm of my life that I have found really helpful and think would be something good to adopt in 2018 for you in whatever way that looks, if that interests you. So I wanted to get Nicole to talk to us about her songwriting life, her journaling life, and just her life in general. She's awesome. I'm so grateful to know her. So I think you're really going to enjoy this kicking off 2018 conversation with songwriter, book writer, all around awesome human, Nicole Nordeman. So we'll start with happy 2018. Welcome to the new year. Well, yes. (laughs) Welcome to the new year. (laughs) The page has turned. Right? A page has turned. Do you remember that Bebo Norman song? The page has turned Bebo Norman song? Oh, you know what? I love and loved Bebo's old music, but I don't know that particular song. Oh, man. Go check it out. Yes. He is someone, before I moved to Nashville, that I like loved his music so much, and now it still blows my mind that we live in the same town, but he doesn't do music and he like builds houses or something. I know. I remember seeing that several years ago that he kind of announced on social media that he was stepping all the way out of music. And I I was so sad. I know. I was (laughs) too. I I get it. But man, the world is a richer place for his work. I remember so clearly, Nicole, one of the very first podcasts I think I ever listened to was you and Kara Davis at like yes. relevant or radiant. I don't even, I don't remember if it was the, the, one of the R's. Yes. And you talked about how much social media was a challenge for you. And I don't know my, but I remember you saying, why does anyone care if I eat waffles for breakfast? <laughs> right. But this was literally like 2006, maybe oh, 2007. I know. That was, that was before like we were finding 
the best filter for our waffles on Instagram. Like it's gotten so much more intense. Yeah. I think I have, I was, because I took so much time off, like I took a whole decade out of my career just to stop making music and stay at home and raise kids. And, and because of that, I just didn't do social media. Like I didn't even do it for personal reasons. And so coming back and having to sort of like, teach the old lady the the, <laughs> the social media world was like a huge learning curve so I've made peace with it I still struggle of course but. yeah tell me why you decided to make peace with it did you just have did you just have to was there like no choice I had to just because of the world that we live in our industry I mean certainly it's a ministry but it for sure is an industry. And, you know, it's just, it's the way we tell people about um, where we're going to be singing. It's the way we announce new singles on the radio. It's the way we like reach our fans about our projects. And so for me to just shun social media is like just to not have a career essentially. So I did, I'm still pretty, um, you know, I try to post some personal stuff on occasion just because I know it's fun and people love that. But I, I, that part never really feels natural to me. Like, you know, just sharing, sharing what I had for breakfast or sharing what I did, you know, what I bought at the store, all that stuff just feels so weird still. What is your Enneagram number? Do you know? I'm a nine. Okay. Yeah. And I, I wonder if uh, social media is hard for nines because y'all feel everyone's feelings. We feel all the feelings and we desperately need everyone to be okay with our feelings. Yeah. And so. And that is not how the internet is. <laughs> that sure isn't. That is. So Facebook is not a happy place for me a no. lot of times, you know, because people, people have really strong thoughts and even um, are even more opinionated when they are safe behind an anonymous screen. And yeah, as, as a nine who just does not do confrontation or conflict like that has, it's been tough at times to be okay with that. Yep. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point because one of the things you said that really stood out to me is when you said, um, I just didn't have a choice. I had to come around to it. And I think that there are times when people will ask me, are you tired? Are you tired of traveling? And you want to be like, I don't get to answer that. Like, that's right. I don't, it doesn't right. matter. It actually doesn't matter. Like someone asked me the other day, do you feel, do you feel like you could like use a couple of weeks off? And I'm like, my brain doesn't even get to go there. That's right. That's like a mom being like, do you feel like life would be easier if your kids live somewhere else for a little bit? Well, probably, <laughs> but that's not my options. <laughs> that's exactly right. Like you don't go to your dentist office and be like, are you just overfilling cavities today? Right, Could you right. just do any more of that? I bet, right. you know, like there's some things that are just part of what we do. And I remind myself every single day that, you know, of, of course it has its challenges of, yes, I'm exhausted. Yes, I'm an introvert. So all of the people, people, people stuff really starts to wear me down a little bit. But I'm listen, I'm not digging ditches. Like this is not, this is not a challenge. This is not a hard life at yeah, all. And that's I'm right. really, really thankful for every second of it. That's right. And I work really hard to treat my job like a job, Yep. but also be really grateful that I'm getting to do what I've always wanted to do. Yeah. So yep, it is a real job. I have to get up every day. That's why I take the month of August off every year. It's just a rhythm in my life so that, I I, that. we have like a dedicated time when we know vacation is and when I can go quiet. And part of that is, is saying to people would say to me, are you on sabbatical? And I'd be like, no, I'm not that good of a person. Like <laughs> I'm on doctors don't get sabbaticals. Like I have right. not worked hard enough or suffered enough to get a sabbatical. I'm just on vacation. That's what everyone that's else right. is doing. I'm just purely on vacation. Oh, that's so good. What's your rhythm of a year like in your career and in your family? How do y'all, we travel hard now, we write now, we rest now. What does that look like for your family? It's never the same. And I'm sure it's true in your life. Like there's just one year is never the same um, as the next. So I don't have um, rhythm in the sense that, um, you know, I take off the same amount of time, like you were just saying, it's, it's just feast or famine. So when, when I feel blessed to have a calendar that is full, I'm really grateful for it. And when it's empty, I'm really grateful to be home. So I've just, it took, you know, it's been um, growing pains for sure, but just having conversations with my kids about like just managing expectations, you know, like I'm going to be home for a whole month and that means I'm going to be at every field trip and I'm going to pick you up from school every day. And we're going to do all the, all the things that um, other moms maybe don't get to do if they're, if they work nine to five. 
and then I'm going to be gone for a couple weeks and that's going to be really hard, but that's going to end also. And then we'll be back to this other rhythm. So, you know, I think they're, they've learned to be really just adaptable and fluid and we just kind of figure it out as we go. And how old are your kids? So Charlie's 14 and Pepper will be nine in a couple days. Okay. So 14 and nine and y'all live in Tulsa. Is that right? Yep. We don't have to give your address. I'm just putting everybody's mind around where you live. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We're in Tulsa. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really, that is something unique about the women and men that I know that do jobs similar to us that have a road and especially living here in Nashville. So many of my friends are on the road professionally that you just learn a different rhythm. It's not like where I was growing up and everybody's dads were home unless they are on a business trip once a month, you know, like, or moms were home. And now it's like, well, no, that Rebecca Lyons and Gabe Lyons have a really good system in their family of like, each parent can be gone this many nights a month. And, and then we say no after that, because that's the rhythm for our family. And so it has been really interesting for me to ha- be friends with people like you and Rebecca and Angie Smith, some of these women who travel a little bit more to watch how y'all create a rhythm for your family that is non-traditional, but is has set good expectations, like you said. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's just been something that I've had to learn over time is just to redefine. Like we very rarely um, worship on Sunday morning. Like we've uh, just started a kind of a midweek thing here in Tulsa called the table just for people who are in ministry every weekend, like we are. And um, just, you know, Wednesday nights work better or Tuesday nights work better. Or sometimes on a Monday, I'm sure you've done this too, when you've been traveling all weekend, speaking at all different places, like Monday is my Sabbath. Like, don't talk to me on Monday. I mean, obviously, I obviously I'm a mom always, but like I'm often, I'm not showering or out of my PJs all Monday because that is my weekend, you know? So you just have to look at it a little bit differently. Yeah, that's right. I, I'm, my normal resting day is Wednesday, but I've, I'm starting to need it to be Monday for that exact reason. Cause Mondays usually is when the girls who work with me come into work. We like go hard after emails and, and by about one o'clock, I feel like a terrible version of myself. Right. And I'm like, why am I resting on Wednesdays when Monday is when I'm actually the most tired? Yeah. That's when you need to recoup. Yeah. Next, our next week's episode is with my friend, John Mark Comer, and we're talking about Sabbath, but I would love for you. One of the things people say to me repeatedly about Sabbath, when I'll post about it or talk about it, is when moms say Sabbath doesn't exist for moms. Can you kind of speak into that as a mom? Have you Is that true for you? Have you found that, that you cannot Sabbath with children? You know what? I think it's, first of all, different for every mom, but I also really think the age of your children has a lot to do with it. Um, when my kids were, you know, babies, you know, you don't really get the option of, hey, today's my day off. Like, you just don't. Um, and I think that's when it becomes really important to lean on friends and family just to give you sort of moments of Sabbath. You don't get the whole day, but you know what? I'm going to give you an hour. I'm going to give you an hour. Just go walk around the mall and feel human again or whatever you need to do. But my kids are a little bit older now. And so there's there's a huge blessing in that and that they are independent enough that I'm able to say, hey, guys, um, I need it. I need about an hour or two. Like I'm going to read a book. I'm going to, you know, if you need something, come get me, but I'll be on my favorite chair in my favorite spot, just kind of resting. Cause I had a really busy weekend and they, they know how to be pretty self-sufficient, you know, in their own rooms or whatever for, for a time. It doesn't last long, but I'm thankful for that. What I don't know as a non-mom in this story is can an hour feel like enough? If you are intentional about that hour, if you are checking Twitter the whole hour, probably not. So what would intentional look like for you? Is it reading or is it just sitting or what does it look like for you? Sometimes it's reading. Sometimes for me, honestly, just being in the kitchen and making stuff like just baking or just throwing a recipe together. That's really cathartic to me because as you know, on the road, it is nonstop catering or hotel meals or out to dinner with people, you know, that you're ministering to. So the kitchen is like sanctuary for me, Listen, for sure. if I do one more like salmon dinner from the Holiday Inn oh restaurant, gosh. I just can't. Bless it. Can't. Bless it. <laughs> I know. I'm so grateful that it's not just, you know, club sandwiches and French fries, though that's delicious too. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> you're right. There is something about like missing putting food together yourself. Putting food together and just even being in control. Like sometimes I'll go for a week on the road and realize I haven't driven myself anywhere. And I get home and I'm like, hey, 
I have the keys. Like I get, to, <laughs> I get to go somewhere by myself. That's right, on my own. Yeah, we actually rent a car in just about every city we go to because I don't do tour busing like you've done in my life. And so we usually have a car. And that's one of the reasons is they're just, I just like to, almost the same way as I like a weighted blanket, I like to close all the doors of the car and just be in it. Shelter. (laughs) Shelter from humanity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a lot because I'm a seven and I'm an extrovert. But there are times where I'm like, in fact, about in the middle of October, I preached at my church in Nashville, Cross Point. And the next day I was so tired that I literally went and sat in a chair outside in Leaper's Fork down in south of Nashville, wrapped up in a blanket. And I just didn't, I just didn't do anything. I didn't read. I didn't touch my phone. I just like looked. And I don't, I don't know that I've ever done that, Nicole. That's very That's outside so of me. so good, right. But it was so restful. And I thought, okay, this must be what it looks like for people who have a much busier home life that they only can have an hour, 90 minutes, 30 minutes to just sit and do nothing. Yep. And it was beautiful. Yeah. And I, I do think that um, social media is the enemy of that kind of rest, you know, because even when we're just sitting, I'm sure you've experienced this, but like just that sort of itchy, antsy, like phone checking thing that happens constantly without even us thinking about it. You have to really, in those moments where you're wrapping yourself in a blanket in a chair, like you have to just absolutely shut that other stuff off entirely or you won't get the soul breath that you need. Right. And the time goes so much faster when I'm scrolling on Instagram. Yep, sure does. It's incredible. I had a friend who had kind of pushed me like, you need to take that day off. And so I sent a text and just said, here's where I'm sitting. I'm taking the day off and I'm turning my phone off. (laughs) And so it was almost like I had this accountability that one human on earth knew where I was and knew that I was turning my phone off. Did you feel so much different after just... I did. I did. I I think it is one of the rhythms I'm adopting for this year of like... Part of my Sabbath, I've gotten pretty good at doing a day a week that is quiet and there's no TV and no socials and all that kind of stuff. But it is real different when you also aren't taking in music or books or even the Bible when you're just have to sit with yourself. Yeah, that's really, really good. It feels like a new rhythm that I want to add to trying to figure out. And as an Enneagram 7, I don't like that stuff. And so it's a it's a real stretch. It's one of the reasons yoga is good for sevens and meditation and contemplation is good for sevens because it makes us sit with our pain or sit with our feelings instead of running from them. And I'm kind of a that's that's not my easiest thing. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> so back me up just a little bit because this is what I don't know. I do know when I started listening to music, but what I don't know is when you started doing this full time, making music. Did you used to live in Nashville? Did y'all start here? Yes. I Gosh, I've lived everywhere. Um, I started uh, after college. I moved to LA with my degree and waited tables because I had no idea what I was doing with my life. And, um, and I entered a songwriting contest when I lived out there. And it was really just kind of like, it was sponsored by the Gospel Music Association. I didn't even know what that meant. I just thought, I was like, you know what? I'm new to this really overwhelming city and it'd be good to meet other songwriters and other Christians at the same time. Were you a Christian growing up? Like, was it kind of oh, your yeah, whole yeah. Life? yeah, definitely. Like music in the church was where I, you know, lived forever. But I didn't necessarily know that I wanted a career in music. I just wasn't sure. I've, I'm, you know, I'm not very, um, I don't fit like the stereotypical creative, you know, kind of stereotype. I'm not, I'm more like linear and responsible and like, I'm, you know, my creative friends are just like so all over the place. And I thought, I don't want to do that. Like that doesn't feel like a very solid path. I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm more of a 401k girl, you know? You're right. So I entered this contest just like, well, okay, maybe. And it just ended up being kind of a, a glorified scouting event for the GMA. So I met the guy, uh, John Mays, who later would sign me to a record deal and so I moved to Nashville. I was there. Um, my first album came out in 98. Oh, my gosh. Dates me so horribly. But No, 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 because I was listening to you in 2001 for sure. And I'll tell you why I know that. But, yeah, I mean, for sure. I, I was listening then. Yeah, I was in Nashville for um, several years and then moved to Dallas, uh, where I was for about a decade. And now I'm in Tulsa. Okay. So I don't know if I've told you the story before, but I used to teach elementary school and the song I would sing literally every day. I taught five years, 180 days. So whatever that math is, seven, 800 something. 
every single morning of my teaching career, I sang Legacy on the way to school. Uh-uh. Yeah, literally every morning of my teaching career, I sang that song over my students and over my job and was saying to the Lord, like, I want to leave a legacy because I was teaching in a public school, but was a Christian as a person. And so I knew that I couldn't, I had to respect those boundaries. But I often say that I had a Christian classroom in a public school because I would sneak Jesus in a lot. But yeah, I sang your song over, you know, however many kids that is, 100 and, let's see, 30 times 5, 150, 180 kids. I sing it over them every day of their school year. I love it so much. That's so great. Isn't that amazing how, I mean, do you get stories like that all the time, though? I mean, I would imagine the legacy of having a career that's 20 years long has people going, I've known you, quote, quote, for my whole life. (laughs) Yep. Um, I do hear uh, different stories a lot, and they never stop being incredibly humbling. Like, it's just... To create something, and, you, and I know you know this, like with your writing and stuff too. Like when you, when you create something, and you're kind of in a vacuum, and it's just you and the words, or you and your piano, you and your laptop, and then you launch it out into the world and you give birth to it. It is never not astounding to learn how it returns to you. Like to hear stories like the one you just shared, or stories I've heard over the years. Like this is this is how you know God's involved because if, there's no way we could ever imagine that our words would find their way into these people's lives and their stories and heal up wounds or inspire or, um, you know, encourage, like that's not stuff that we, we could do. It always is so humbling to me. I never get tired of hearing those stories ever. This is a terrible question to ask you, but do you have an album that stands out to you as like what was going on in your life made it your favorite or the most important or the response has been the favorite? Is there one of yours? I mean, because your most recent one, I feel like people talk about all the time. I think every album feels like my favorite. I really do. I just, like we were talking, like songwriting is like keeping a diary. It's like keeping a journal. And so... I can go back and listen to that very first record in 98 and remember right where I was when I wrote those songs. Like it it takes me back instantly, like a familiar smell would. And I feel that way about every project. They're also deeply personal. And this, this last one is probably the one I'm uh, probably the most proud of creatively in terms of the way it sounds, but it's just a snapshot of, of where I am right now, spiritually. I find the same about my books that they are, I say to people a lot, they feel like your books to me. Yeah, that's right. Because each of them sits in an exact spot in my story. And it's very similar, it sounds like, to what you're saying. While my writing improves and hopefully the books are written better, I feel really tender toward all of them because of the spot they hold in my story. Yes, absolutely. There's a song that I wrote to enter that contest I I mentioned. And it's a song called Why. It ended up on one of my uh, projects, um, one first or second project. And to be totally honest, like it's not a great song. Mm. It's, um, it's like going back and watching, if I was an athlete, I'm imagining like watching your old junior high basketball game. Yeah. Tapes, yeah. Yeah, know, yeah, like, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 That, I thought that was a super amazing layup and turns out that was terrible. <laughs> right. But people love it. Like people still say that is, that is my favorite song. That is my life song. Or I can t- I play that every day. Like, and I just, like you said, I, I, t- I feel tender about those moments. I'm not proud of them because I've, gr- I've grown in my craft. Um, but I know that they had their place, you know, that was supposed to be what it was. Yeah. And I'd love you talking about this because this is one thing that my friends who listen to the podcast, we've talked about a similar theme a couple of times. And every time we talk about it, people message me and say, we want you to, and your guests to talk more about this, talking about like not shaming a former version of yourself. Yeah. Right. Like yes, it, yes, but yes. trusting that like Annie at 26, who wrote Perfectly Unique, literally was doing the best she could. So there's no reason to be unkind or judge that book or that version of me. As long as you can trust that you were writing the best songs you could write on that day. And I say it a lot, too, about people who, like, lose weight, which with it being January, everyone's going to want to lose weight this year, which sure, of course. go for it. Be as healthy as you can. But when you hold up your old pants and drop them away and there's a skinny you, I'm like, that's so unkind to I that know. version of you that was doing the very best they could with, what, with the health and the information they had. That's exactly right. That's a really good way to frame it. I think that's absolutely true for me. Um, the songs on on this new project are really about that. Like they're just about looking in the rearview mirror and every and, mile mattered. I mean, that's what you titled it, right? For that exact reason. That's right. And also, 
like you mentioned, it's so important to be compassionate toward that person in the rearview mirror, to the person, the, the girl miles and miles behind you that hadn't learned certain things that you know now and has to walk certain roads to get there. And, you know, just to have tenderness and kindness toward that girl. And it helps you have tenderness and kindness towards other people where they are too. Like I might be in total disagreement with someone politically or theologically or whatever, or just about their life. But it's easy for me. It's easier for me if I can be like, oh man, I remember that. I remember feeling that way. I remember when I was so convinced of A, B, and C and nobody could tell me otherwise. And so it just gives you a more open-hearted approach to everybody, wherever they are. Yes. I think that's a hundred percent. It just gives you, I mean, I think this is probably true. Maybe this is what Jesus meant when he said to love other people as you love yourself. But when I am cruel to myself, I'm so much more judgmental of other people. Absolutely true. And so if I can be full of grace with the version of myself today that's doing the best she can and the version of myself six years ago who had a breakdown and got on a plane and flew away from everyone and acted like a crazy person, if I can be full of grace to both of those Annies, then I can be full of grace to someone I I disagree with that's outside of me. And recognizing that all of those Annies contribute to to the now Annie. Like you just, you don't get to be you now without that girl right before that's so important and do you see that across all your albums i mean i see it across my books i see the growth and the change and the culmination that each version makes me more me absolutely true i can even hear in certain songs and in certain recordings like oh man that was me trying to have a certain sound because because somebody was encouraging me to have a certain sound at the time or that's me trying real hard for a radio hit <laughs> you know <laughs> Like not regret, like we said, because that's just part of how I got to be who I am today. But I can hear myself straining and trying. And then I can hear myself in certain songs just relaxing into who I am in the Lord and who I am in my own skin. So, yeah, they're very revealing for sure, like like your books would be, I'm sure. All right, friends, just jumping in here real quick to thank a new partner who's come along with us. Dudes, hang with me. Ladies, you're going to love this. When it comes to bra shopping, yes, you heard me, bra shopping, it's all about finding the right fit for you. And there's actually only one lingerie brand that is offering bras in size AA through G and in half cup sizes. And it's called Third Love. Third Love uses thousands of real women's measurements and super smoothing memory foam to create bras that fit better and feel great. Did you know that most old school bra brands only carry 15 sizes? Well, Third Love has 60 sizes, including half cups. Never heard of half cups? That's because no one else does it. So Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they're offering you guys, my friends, 15% off your first order, which I think is super awesome. So to find the bra you've been waiting for, all you have to do is answer a few simple questions from the Third Love's Fit Finder quiz, which I did and thought was actually super fun and funny and really interesting. It just takes 60 seconds and you can do it all from the comfort of your home. So you'll never have that awkward fitting room experience again. So try a third love bra. It's so comfortable. You might forget you're wearing it. And if you don't agree, returns and exchanges are always easy and free. So this year, friends, make the change that will change the way you think about bras. Go to thirdlove.com slash sounds fun right now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. Remember that's thirdlove.com slash sounds fun. Thirdlove.com slash sounds fun. Back to Nicole. So one of our friends, maybe someone's listening and they're like, okay, so this year I'm not going to shame myself anymore. I'm going to give myself permission. What does that look like? What would you say to someone? What would be the first step of like, here's the first thing you let go of or the first thing you do to decide that no longer will you shame your current self or your old selves? I think a lot of it is just making peace with your history. Like I went on tour with Amy Grant last year and she sang this beautiful song, um, and I honestly can't remember the name of the song right now, but part of that was she put up like this gorgeous slideshow behind her. And it was a collage of every stage of her life because she was saying like, I don't know what to do with my old life, like my old marriage and all of those painful chapters, there were beauty in them and parts, but I want to like integrate all of it. So she got out all her pictures from little girl to teenage to early success in Christian music to first marriage to kids to remarriage to everything. 
and just kind of spread them out all on the floor and kind of embraced it. Like, this is all me. All of it's me. Like, I'm not going to compartmentalize. And I think that's a great exercise in kind of treating that former, older, younger self with, with grace and compassion and value, like valuing those moments. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's a great idea. Just maybe maybe one weekend in January, you just sit down and pull out pictures from every season and just like think kindly toward them. Yes, yes. Recognize the good in those in those photos in those seasons. Okay, so another thing I wanted us to talk about that flows along beautifully with this is, you know, kind of one of the things we're doing for the first few episodes of the year is talking about life rhythms that we can adopt. And I loved looking through your book, Slow Down, Embracing the Everyday Moments of Motherhood, which I'm not a motherhood, but I love slowing down. But I love that you had spots all over the book for people to record their thoughts. And one of my big passions in my faith walk and in my life is journaling. And so I would love for you to talk a little bit about the rhythm of journaling in your life before you were a mom and now that you're a mom. And especially, I just love that Slow Down has those places in each chapter or each story to kind of like reflect. Yeah. You know, I think the first rule of journaling is that there is no rule. Like you don't, you know, it's so intimidating. For a long time, I avoided journaling because it felt like homework. Like, oh my gosh, a blank, a blank page and a lot of expectation. And I'm going to go, I'm going to reread this. Like this is all the performance stuff in me. I'm going to have to reread this someday. So it better be interesting and insightful. And, you know, there's just no, there are no rules. Like if you have five minutes to jot down a couple thoughts or one thing you're thankful for, or one funny, hilarious thing your kid said, or one meltdown that you just had, whatever, like journaling does not have to be you and a cup of tea and a Pinterest or an Instagram picture with your Bible open. Like you don't have to do that. I sometimes carry around index cards. That's so not fancy and like cool, but I just carry them around in my purse and I will jot down like just a moment of gratitude or a song title that I want to revisit or just any, anything like that counts to me as journaling. Cause I'm recording my life. Um, in small pieces, because I don't have time to sit down at Barnes and Noble for hours and hours and curl up with a good spiral. Right, notebook. right, you know? right. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's that sort of took the intimidation factor out of it for me. It was just you know there are no rules. Just write what you feel like writing when you when you feel like writing it. Why is it important to you to do it at all? Because I think, and this is in keeping with sort of the every mile mattered idea. I think reflection is really a good tool in teaching us about ourselves. So to be able to look back and recognize lessons learned, just revisit struggles, revisit brokenness, watch how the hand of God hovers over you from one chapter to the next. Like those aren't things that we remember always in our minds. Like we just kind of have this quick arc of like, well, that was hard. And then then I got through it and now it's over. But to go back and really see your own handwriting, like it's a powerful tool just in, in integrating the whole experience. I think it's great for personal growth. Yeah, I, I have, and my friends who listen have heard me talk about this ad nauseum, but I really believe journaling has probably been probably the central spiritual discipline in my growth and in my faith. Like not faith as in like faith in God, but in the actual like faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you can't see. That actual faith muscle in me has been built through journaling and going like, I think God is saying this to me. I'm going to write it down in pen. And in six months, I'm going to have to come back to this and wrestle with what God did do and what God didn't do and what has changed in my life since then. And when I sit down and work on a book, I pull my journals next to me from that season. Yeah. Do you do that when you're writing songs? Do you bring in? Your, I mean, I I don't quote my journal in my <laughs> in my books, but uh, right. I come pretty dang close sometimes. I don't treat songwriting the same way necessarily because um, I spend so much time up in my head. <laughs> I'm an introvert, like a like a card carrying introvert, and I always have been, and so. I will write 80% of a song in my head before I ever sit down at a piano and actually make words that go with it. Yeah, I just blueprint. I do a lot of like, oh yeah, I think I want to, oh, this is where I want to go. And you can remember it. It stays in your head. It's big picture. It's not lyric yet. It's like, like, okay, so there's a song on the new project called Dear Me. And it's just, it's a letter to my younger self. So I wrote, like I knew immediately when I just said those words, dear me, I'm like, okay, I got it. And just spent days thinking about it, praying about it, thinking about it before I picked up a pen or a laptop. 
Like this is kind of what I want it to be about. And then I want the course to be this. And I really want the ending to feel this way. And, and then when it's time to sit down and write, then I just sort of um, funnel all of that soul work and all of that brain work into like actual craft and lyric and editing and music and all that stuff. But most of it's in my head. So Wow, that is massively impressive. <laughs> it makes me a terrible um, co-writer. Oh, right, because you're like, sorry, I've got it done in my head. <laughs> yeah, I just need to be alone for two hours, yeah. and then I'll have something. Yeah, to say and you're to like, you. and I'll put your name on it. Don't worry, you're still going to get the co-write, <laughs> but I've got the whole thing done in my head. I'll, I'll give it to you exactly. when I'm finished, and then you can like add a word or two, and we can call it a day. That's incredible. Are you always writing? No, no. You actually go through, like, I'm writing an album. I'm going to sit down for two months or three months and write an album. I do not function unless there is a serious deadline and someone is breathing down my neck and sending me, like, threatening emails. Yes, I know. (laughs) I will go forever and never write another song. I remember when I toured years ago with Stephen Curtis Chapman. I was so – of course, I just – biggest fan ever. But I was so jealous of his creative process because he is never not with – he's just never without a guitar. And if he has five minutes in the dressing room, like I would hear him in the room next to me, like right before we're going on stage and he's just, we've got that guitar and he's working out a section in a song and he's, he's constantly, constantly creating. He doesn't know how not to. Um, and I'm whatever the opposite of that is what I am. I'm like, yeah, I'll be over here on Netflix until my A&R guy at the label is like, hey, uh, your songs yeah. were due last month. Yeah, 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 exactly. And then I take all of that stuff that I've been thinking about and I finally sit down and do it, but it, it's not like the easiest process. People ask me a lot, like, do you have to write? Like, does it have to come out? And that's true probably like once a year that something will happen in the only way. But I think it's also because it became my job when it wasn't my job and I was writing as a hobby. It was way different. But now that it's my job, I'm like, no, I don't have to write. I have to sleep. <laughs> and mm-hmm, I have mm-hmm, to go to the mm-hmm. beach. I don't have to write. <laughs> That's right. That's <laughs> it so just true. Doesn't, it doesn't feel that way anymore. How have you learned to balance what parts of your life you write about and sing about and what you don't? I think I just have always felt really lucky and blessed that people have always looked to me. I don't know how I earned this reputation early on, but people have always kind of said to me, you always, you're so honest and you just say things that nobody else is saying, Christian music, blah, blah, blah. And I never set out to do that with any kind of an agenda at all. It was just more like, I'm just going to say what I feel like. And if that resonates with two people, great. Or if it sells a bunch of records, great. But I didn't know how to do anything else other than just sort of share my own experience. I don't know. I don't, I don't ever have a filter like, well, I better not talk about that. You know, because especially when you're writing about faith, like if you're not honest, what is the point? If you're not talking about, you know, I went through a really painful divorce. So the choice is, do I just pretend like that didn't happen and carry on with my um, encouraging hits for the safe and fun for the family? Or do I write about it and hope that people who have been walking down a similar road might find those songs? Um, so yeah, it's not really a choice for me. It's just kind of a given that that's what's going to happen. So now it's January. What's your spring look like? I know. You, are you going back out on tour with Jen Hatmaker? Yes, we are. I mean, do y'all um, just laugh constantly? It's disgusting how I much know, we laugh. I know. It shouldn't be right. It shouldn't be allowed, really. She is such a joy to me. I just think the world of her. She is so dear and just, she's just such a solid person. I think so many people associate Jen with like, with comedy and she's so quick and so uh, magnetic and charismatic, but she's also such a deep soul. Like she is a deep, deep well. And I, I just learn from her. I learned about my life from her. Um, anyway, about parenting, about relationships, all of it. So yeah, it's been, it's been so much fun. And we do have um, some February dates that are still coming together. I think maybe six or seven, positive right now because I have my calendar in front of me. But yeah, the fall was incredible and we are excited to just continue bringing this to folks in the spring. Tell me why being out with Jen is a good partnership for you. It's a little out of the box. You know, we were part of a big conference that sort of fell apart uh, called Belong. Um, And it just, it surprised us as much as it surprised anyone. There's some new owners and things sort of fell apart. And we just wanted to salvage something 
uh, and wanted to do it together. And so it just made sense for us to partner together. And we're kind of doing the anti arena tour. Like it's a very intimate evening. It's me at a piano, Jen with a microphone and a stool. Like there's no production, no bells and whistles. So it's literally like a couple of friends got in a car. I'm sure y'all aren't in a car, but y'all are got on wheels and there it was. That's how it feels. And it's how it feels in the room too. And you know, Jen's been just through her own sort of hurricane in many ways. And she speaks incredibly candidly about that. And it's just a joy to to create the soundtrack for the evening musically. Um, just feels like a really ordained kind of partnership right now. And so it's just the two of y'all. Is that right? That's it. Well, we're out with um, a worship leader who we both adore. His name is Noah Needleman. And he um, he does worship, just him and a guitar. It's real simple, nothing fancy. So tell me about that shift in the church a little bit. It feels it feels like a shift to me. So you can go, Annie, it's not a shift in the church. You're dumb. And I'll hear that. But <laughs> it does feel a little bit like local church experiences are being preferred over arena experiences. You feel like that's where we're headed? Yes. That's very possible. Uh, that is, no, you, that's here's what I you want to say. You want to say, you're dumb, Annie. You're wrong. <laughs> no, no, no. The truth of the matter is, like, you, you're you on the ground as much as I am. So you're seeing the shift, you know, like, more than anyone would be because you're out there traveling. I I feel like I don't know how to separate my own personal um, preferences from what's happening in the in the church culturally. So I've never been a big church person. I've never been – and this is – I really think it's about – my introversion. Like I just do small. My kids go to a very small school. I go to a very small church. I have a very small number of friends. Like I do small. And that's, that is certainly not saying anything remotely like God is not at work in mega churches or in, you know, in arenas. Like there is incredible kingdom work being done in large, large gatherings. Um, so I don't know, like if that is, if, if you're right, and that is the shift to, toward a more simple, organic sort of worship experience, then I would love that. But if it's not, that's okay too. Yeah. There are still, I mean, there are some really beautiful arena things going on for sure. I just have started to, and you're right. It may be my personal shift as well, because I do go to a mega church, but it just, it does feel like I'm seeing people love being around their people and having experiences with their couple of thousand people or a couple of hundred people or a couple of tens people. I don't know. It's just something I'm watching, which is probably not what you should talk about on a podcast is what you're watching happen versus what's like statistically (laughs) true. But because I'm like, I don't have numbers. I don't have like math would tell you. Right, right. I just feel feel like, Uh yeah, I'm just watching people kind of return home a little bit to, I think that's one of the things I love about if gathering is there is the big arena option in Austin. And then there's the if locals everywhere. So you really can go like, no, I'm I'm choosing to stay in New Orleans with my family and my all the women that are in my church, and we're going to experience this, but we're going to be together. I wonder if, and this is just again, like you said, there's no, no there's no stats here to back this up. Just wondering, but I wonder if because I what I do sense as being a major shift in a lot of churches is just a real. Um, movement toward social justice being like not just sort of a side thing, but like the main thing in churches. And I think that when that becomes the the center of a church is the way it's as outreach and the way that it is interacting with um, justice issues, that tends to be more of a like, get your hands dirty kind of stuff. Like that's, you kind of have to be boots on the ground and you have to like actually show up and do the hard stuff. And maybe that is what's getting smaller as the vision is getting bigger. Does that make sense? Oh, that's really good. It may just it may be that to get the work done, we got to stay local <laughs> if we're going to get the work done. Right. Oh, right. that's really interesting. That's a great thought. I do see that too. And I see that in your life that that's something that you really champion and care about based on social media, right? Like I'm not texting yeah. you and being like, what do you care yeah. about this week, Nicole? But like, it does feel like there are a lot of voices and you're one of them that is that is going like, as we've moved forward as a faith culture, this is a central tenet for what we believe and what we put our time and heart into. Yeah. And I wasn't always there. Like I, that's a newer focus for me, to be honest. Um, What's funny is to call like social justice new to the church because it's exactly how the church began. Like (laughs) that is actually central to the message of the gospel. We took it somewhere else and sort of hijacked it into a bunch of crazy stuff. But so it's more of a return. I think it's a return to, 
what we value in as the core of the heart of what Jesus talked about and valued and saw and ser- served. And um, so it's, it's very much uh, a simplification, I think, in many ways in my own life. And I'm watching that happen in a lot of churches. And I think that's really fair for you to call it new because it can be new for us, even if it's not new for the church, because there are things that happened in generations before me that I'm just bringing into my faith experience that are new for me. So do not shame yourself, Nicole Nordeman. Yeah. You do not feel shame for not knowing what you didn't know. I received that. I received that. (laughs) You are allowed. It is allowed to be new for you to step into social. My friend Eddie Koffeltz has a podcast called The New Activist that is literally all about if you want to be an activist, what does it look like? And where can you step in and where can you be a part of doing social justice where your passions and your heart and the world's needs can meet? And I just think that's, that is such good language for me to go, yeah, it's okay to be a new activist. That's an okay thing for me. That's really good. That's really strong. I just heard the term um, recently. You probably have heard it, and I just is new to me. But um, have you heard the term slacktivist? No. Tell me more. It made me laugh yes. so hard. It's basically the person who like tweets all day long about justice issues, but like, like does none of <laughs> doesn't do any of it. Yes. Yes. Right. Slacktivist. Like, oh my gosh, that's so good and so tempting. Like it's just easy to, yeah, man. I'm just retweeting all these things, and I'm super like edgy and right. I care so much. Yeah. I care so much yeah. and I'm going to fight with people online about it, right. but I'm not but really like, I don't do have no dirt under my life. nails. Right. Right. I thought it was such a great that word. Is, oh, slacktivist. That is like such a good, um, accountability for me to be like, am I being an activist about what matters to me or am I being a slacktivist? Something I'm wrestling with, I guess is probably not the right word, but something I'm learning a lot about is, and it's new to me is women leading in church and what that looks like and how to do that really well when I'm not the kid in the church anymore. I'm the woman, I'm the adult, and I'm one of the leaders. Uh, we all are. Anyone who is older, I have a friend who at his church, they say, after your first week, you're a greeter. <laughs> like your first week, you don't have to be a greeter, but after your first week, you're a greeter. That's good. Right? And that's how it feels about being an adult in a church is after your first week, you're a leader. Like you're helping lead the church because you're showing up every week. And so I can either be a slacktivist about this and like retweet articles about women in leadership and like, or I can like actually have real conversations with people and try things and then go well and not go well. And so I feel that same thing toward social justice and toward just anything that is making me be outside of myself. I have those two options. I can either talk about it or I can do it. That's exactly right. Do y'all have a female pastor at your church? So we're at a, a church uh, that's new for us. It's a small Episcopal church. No, it's a it's a the priest is a male priest, but there's a lot of women in leadership there. And I also just feel like I don't know, like the denomination I grew up in did not honor women in leadership at all. Like it wasn't even a discussion. Part of that was just the time that we were living in. And also I think the denomination I was in as well. So um, it's, it's been new for me in my adult life to be like, wait a minute, like I can learn under these women. Like it's, these are not just uh, voices that are relegated to the kids ministry. What? (laughs) It took me half a second to, to be like comfortable with it because just of where I came from, even though you know, I myself feel like I'm in leadership, but I just never thought of it that way. Oh, I think that's so beautiful to give people permission that the first step is going, I can listen to a woman teacher. We're not asking everybody to be one, but lit- I had to wrestle with that too. I probably spent, I've literally spent years getting to there where I had to rewire my brain. And now I'm, now I really believe that you can listen to women teachers, but, but yeah, I think that's such a beautiful first step of like, wrestle down what you believe about women teaching you. That's right. Yeah. And some of it is just, you don't have a framework for it. Like there's no scaffolding to even explain that in your life. It's just, oh no, my pastors have always been men, obviously, you know? So yeah, it's, it's wonderful. And I'm, because scripture is so beautifully describes the feminine attributes of God as lover and as, as mother and as, as nurturer, uh, as shelter. Like there's just so the old Testament is just rich with language describing the feminine qualities of God. It makes it easier for me knowing that to like really sit under the teaching of a woman and hear the voice of God through her. Like, yes, we have, we always attribute all these masculine attributes to God as we worship him. But um, 
there's so much more to be experienced. I was actually on a podcast recently called The 37 Podcast with my friend Michael Yoder, and we were talking a little bit about this, and he said that in Genesis, when it says that the Spirit hovered over the water— that that's like a feminine, the original language is feminine of the hovering is like a mother hen over her nest. And I was, I got all teary about it. I was like, oh my gosh, for so long, it's been right there in front of me. And I haven't read it like that because I don't read Hebrew or Greek or, you know, I don't read another that's language right. besides English, right. except a little bit of Spanish at a Mexican restaurant. That's about the extent <laughs> of my ability to read other languages. But one of the things about talking about it publicly, like you and I could sit and have coffee and talk about this for hours, but to talk about it on a podcast that tens of thousands of people listen to, the thing is, is this is something we're still wrestling down to. I don't have the answers. This is literally what I am processing in my faith walk of like, what's my right spot and how do we do this well? And how do we raise young men and young women to lead the church well based on what the Bible actually says? And that feels like that's what our call is, right? It is. Yeah. And it's, you know, I think I've made peace with the fact that I'm just going to be okay not knowing some of it. Like, I, I don't think that excuses us from um, chasing after truth and chasing after right theology. Um, but I think there is a point, too, at which oh, I can spend, I can just spend way too much time, like, caught up in that stuff too. Like, well, what about this? And this, this verse controvers- contradicts this verse. And well, but in this, in the Hebrew, like all of that's good and right in, in certain places. And then also you have to live your life and do what God's called you to do. If you never are able to tie that up with a bow, I think that's okay. Like you just can't wait until it's all so- solid and settled in your mind before you decide to serve yes, God. Yes, that's right. And there is something, and this is a little bit your fault, Nicole, because musicians, you don't finish a song without resolving a chord. True. Right? Like, true. Yeah, like mu- musicians don't leave us unresolved. And I don't really get to leave books unresolved. Movies don't leave us unresolved. The, you know, the stories we tell, we always finish them. And that isn't our faith experience. God doesn't always finish stories that we can see right now. Right? Like at some point we will, but not now. That's exactly right. And the men and women, the iconic uh, Bible characters that we've grown up learning about, like their lives did not get resolved oftentimes pretty at all. Like some really painful endings to some long faithful journeys. You know, there just aren't always those examples of like, and so all was well in the life of Moses, the end. That's that's just not, that's that's not the, it's not our example. Like that doesn't, that's not what um, serving faithfully necessarily means. And that's what like ruins my life about the end of Hebrews 11 or 12. I can't remember which one it is. Hebrews 11, where they say they never saw the thing they were waiting for. Oh my You're gosh. Like, no! right. <laughs> Don't say right. that to me. Tell me that they but all got. Yeah, tell me they all got what they came for. Oh, here it is. It's, yeah, it's a Hebrews 11. I Googled it. Thank you. How did people study the Bible before Google, Nicole? Uh, how? Or or find their way to Thank the you. Thank you. Or get lost and get back on track. I can't imagine. Yes. Um, right. So it says in Hebrews eleven thirty nine, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. I'm like, no, that still ruins my life. None of them received yeah. what had been promised. <laughs> delete, delete. They all, yeah, delete yeah. The and all, you know, 15 people are listed in Hebrews 11 for being so full of faith and believing God. And then God's like, and by the way, they were, I, I commended all of them for their faith. And none of them got. <laughs> it's like, oh gosh, that makes me want to take a nap. I know, I know. There are just there just aren't easy answers. Right. There just there aren't, aren't easy answers, but we don't give up. That's the trick. We don't give up. No, absolutely. But there not. aren't easy answers. If we find God. We find God in the search and in, in small oh, moments. That's good. That, and that's what I want my friends to know is like sometimes we get the answers. Sometimes we get what God's promised. There are portions of our story that go. The majority of my story goes better than I would have ever dreamed it would have. But it's not easy. Yes. And it's and it doesn't look the way it's supposed to look. Um, I'm dating a wonderful man. I was single forever for almost eight years and just met this great guy. He's a, he's a pastor and he was preaching recently about the, um, the road to Emmaus, you know, where the disciples are walking away from 
Rome. They're walking away from the city where Jesus was just crucified. They are so despondent and so devastated because he was the Messiah. He was the, he was the one, he was it. And now what now? Like they're just sick. And the story that Jesus walks alongside them on their way away from faith, like they're walking away from the church, essentially disillusioned and depressed and despondent. And he shows up to walk with them as the risen Christ and they don't recognize him. I just love this idea that Jesus will show up also when you're struggling with what to do with the realities of church and religion and how it's failed you and the despair that you feel in the absence of answers. He still walks with us. He still says, you know, hey, over here, recognize me. You know, that's a powerful tool for me, just, just a visualization, I think, to realize that I'm still journeying with him, even in the absence of like, obvious answers and solutions. I love that. I read a book recently that talked about the difference in life, death, and resurrection. And it's just what you said, how resurrection, We, when we ask God to resurrect something, we're not actually asking him to resurrect it. We're asking him to give us back what we had when it was life. Because resurrection always looks different. They didn't recognize Jesus and they knew him. Because resurrection looks different than life. And so when we pray, we have this expectation that God's going to bring back what had died when actually he's going to resurrect something new. That's right. It'll look different. It'll look different. And we have to like grab hold of that and go, okay, it's, but that's also something me and the Lord are wrestling down so hard right now is like the difference between my expectations and his plans and how I expect life and he offers resurrection. And I'm disappointed when I don't get life. And he goes, yeah, but look what I did give you, Annie. Right? Yes, that's good. That's so good. We have one question. I mean, we just like blew through an hour, and that is like how it happens. I, I, it makes me wish you lived here all the more that we could like do this on a regular basis. I can't believe it's been an hour. That's crazy. I know. Isn't that funny? So, the last question that we always ask on the show because the podcast is called That Sounds Fun, we love to talk about what's fun. So, what is something that is really fun to you? No rules, no like budget, calendar constraints, just like what would sound really fun to you right now? Okay, this is just gonna make me sound like the biggest weirdo. I'm sorry, but I, um, because I'm never home or not as not home a lot, um, I have just like throwing myself into the world of do like DIY projects. Oh yeah, it's so dumb. That's not dumb at all. I love it. And I don't mean like crafts. I mean like I wonder if I have the right tools to take out this retaining. Wall. Like, <gasps> oh my gosh, <laughs> you're I like attempted anything that serious, but I for real can imagine myself like if I wasn't a songwriter, if I wasn't doing what I do, like I had a second act in life, I would totally like buy crappy houses and, and flip them. And I would, would want to do all the work myself. Oh so my gosh, so that's what you, so are you like majorly on Pinterest or HGTV or what's your like drug of choice to get there? HGTV. I'm a big fan of the, just the remodel shows. I, I could get lost in Home Depot for a couple hours and feel real happy about it. Even though I don't know what half Thank of you. it is, you know, that is the truth. <laughs> It's so dumb. Two of my friends from college have a show on HGTV, the Flipper Flop Atlanta. Ken and Anita Corsini are friends of mine from college. And it is so, f- I love their show because it's fast. It's like 20, it's like, a, it's you know, it's a half hour show. And they literally like totally. buy the house. You see the house gross. You see them work for four minutes and then it's a reveal. <laughs> and then they sell it. <laughs> I love it. Like, of course, absurdly oh, for inaccurate sure, about how the right? process is, I'm sure, but it's sure, it fun, sure to is watch. fun to watch. Yes, but don't, don't let it tell you how your life is supposed to go because that ain't how your life's going to go. That is the truth. Thanks again for doing this today, Nicole. I'm so grateful. Thanks for kind of kicking off our year with this. All right. Take care. I mean, that is an interview and a conversation <laughs> that. I want to listen to 10 more times. She is so wise and had such good thoughts for us. I'm so grateful for Nicole taking time to chat with us to kick off the year and just spend some time together. So I'm really, I'm really thankful for her. She's so wise. I hope you will grab her album, Every Mile Mattered, and her new book, Slow Down. I know a lot of you got 100 Days to Brave for Christmas or have decided to start 100 Days to Brave on January 1st and go through the year. So if that's it, welcome to day four. And I love it. We would love to celebrate with you at the end of this. So stay the course at you guys. If you have 100 Days to Brave, keep going, finish it, and we will celebrate when you get to day 100. I can't wait to hear what happens in your life. In fact, the people who started the book on October 24th when it released actually finished the first week of February. So we're going to start hearing stories in February, which is really exciting about what 100 Days of Focused Courage and Bravery can do to your life. 
So like Nicole talked about, if you want to bring some journaling into your life, it could be as simple as putting some index cards in your pocket or getting a journal and spending a couple of minutes a day just writing out some bullet points of how to be thankful, what God has done for you. You could also read Ann Voskamp's book, 1,000 Gifts, where she talks about listing out a 1,000 things God has done for you and how you can do that in a year. It's really, really beautiful. So that sounds fun to me, actually, to do some reading of Ann's book. I haven't read it in a while, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go home and crack that puppy open and read some of 1,000 Gifts. So I hope you will go out and do something that sounds fun to you today as well, and we will see you next week with, you know, the dude that I love, John Mark Comer, one of my favorite preachers and authors, and now a friend, whether he likes it or not. John Mark Comer is going to be back talking to us all about Sabbath and bringing Sabbath into the rhythm of your life. So if you have questions about that, email us, podcast at AnnieFDowns.com, or talk to me on Twitter, Instagram. I'm embarrassingly easy to find, Annie F. Downs, F is in fancy, and tell us any questions you have about Sabbath. We would love to present some of those to John Mark. And if we don't get to him in the podcast, we will for sure find a way to answer them for you online elsewhere. So make sure your friends who want to talk about Sabbath know that that is coming next week and share this episode with any of your friends who need to talk more about resting and journaling and women in leadership and all the beautiful things that Nicole spoke about. So if you get a chance and can rate and review the show, that helps so, so much. We would appreciate it. And we will be back next week. Yeah. Y'all have a great week.